right, what's up, Billmore Church? Welcome to God's house today. My name's Clayton King. Great to be back with my people here at Biltmore Church. If I've never met you before, I did the math this week. I've been preaching at Biltmore Church now for 17 years. Can you believe that? 17 years. I started when I was nine preaching here at Biltmore. It's always great to get to come back to you. Pastor Bruce is one of my very best friends in the world. I love him with all of my heart. Always an honor to get to see him and I always get to see some of the leaders here. Uh, Jason Gaston, who's just joined the team. I got to see uh, Scott and hang out with him and Carl and Mike and just enjoy all that God's doing here. Every time I come, my college roommates come to church here. Uh, I have family members who come to church here, so it always feels good to come back. Now, let me do this before we start. I wanted to mention to you, so last Sunday, a guy preached here named Jason Gaston. He's new to the team, but Jason and I have been friends for a really long time. So for the 17 years that I've been preaching at Biltmore, God has continued to strengthen the relationship between our ministry at Crossroads and Biltmore Church. Jason Gaston was an eighth grader in Apex, North Carolina, when he got saved at a D-Now weekend when I was preaching. In 1998, he came as a, a camper to Crossroads Summer Camp, and he surrendered his life to ministry to preach the gospel. Fast forward 2021, Jason Gaston is now on the lead team here at Biltmore and is preaching on this stage. He preached from Mark chapter 4 last week. I get to follow him and preach from Mark chapter 5 this week. I am so thankful how God ties so many things together. The reason why I brought that up, Jason surrendered his life to a call at our summer camp. And for the last seven years, Biltmore Church has been partnering with our ministry at Crossroads for a great summer camp experience. And camp is two weeks away. So I want to mention this to you. If you're the parent of a teenager, or if you are a teenager, middle school or high school, you need to sign up for camp today in the lobby at your campus as soon as I'm done preaching the band will sing one final song, and when we dismiss, we've got volunteers and staff, and they're in the lobby at every campus to get your students signed up for camp. This year, it's going to be at Gardner-Webb University, my alma mater, where I graduated back in the 1900s. So I hope all of you will sign your students up for Biltmore Camp. It's coming up in two weeks at Gardner-Webb. I'll be camp pastor that week, preaching alongside Jason Gaston. And then one more thing I want to mention to you, another great opportunity. I'll just mention it. This fall, in late October, Biltmore is having a marriage conference, and my wife, Shari, and I are going to be leading that marriage conference right here at Biltmore Church. You'll get more information about that. Hope that you'll all join us. Well, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 5. And if you come to the second service at Biltmore, I'm going to preach as long as I want to today. Can somebody say amen? So I, uh, as I was talking to Pastor Bruce about this Sunday, and I knew what Jason was going to be preaching on last week, it just so happened that this was a story that was already on my heart specifically for the time in which we find ourselves alive right now. So here's the title to the message, and then I'm going to ask you a question. If you like to title your notes, title your notes this, Faith Enough to Fight. Faith Enough to Fight. Now, I'm not going to talk about having faith enough to fight on Facebook. I'm not going to talk about fighting with your spouse or fighting with your boss. I'm going to talk about fighting 
with faith for the presence of God in your life. So I want to start off by asking you a question. It's going to be on the screens. And you don't have to answer this question out loud. I'll do it for you. What are you afraid of? I need to get our heads in the right space this morning. What are you afraid of? Now, I may ask for a show of hands, however, on every campus. I did some deep research on the seven or eight biggest phobias in America. And by deep research, I mean I Googled it for three minutes. And I Googled it for three minutes, and I want to read to you the biggest fears that Americans have. Now, some of these I get. Some of these make no sense to me. Let's start with astrophobia. Have you heard of that? Astrophobia is the fear of thunder and lightning. Does anybody have astrophobia? Anybody scared of that? Nobody's raising their hand. Well, I have a 13-pound white toy poodle named Theo, and he suffers from astrophobia. That's a confession, not a testimony. I'm not proud of my dog. My kids love him. I tolerate him. How about this one? Now, some of y'all I know have this. Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Anybody have that fear? Uh, Okay. I am not afraid of snakes. Catch them with my bare hands, play with them, chase people with them. I've gotten cussed out before. I had a best friend throw a rock and hit me in the face in college because I chased him through the parking lot with a black snake. Don't do that. Here was one that also, I don't get this one. Now, I know some people have this. Agoraphobia. It is the fear of big crowds. Some people are afraid of big crowds. I'm the opposite of agoraphobia. I fear being alone. I'm an extreme extrovert. I'm like, there are people. Let me go meet all of them and see if I can make them laugh. That's me. Here was one that I thought, man, if you've got this phobia, you've had a hard 18 months Mysophobia. It's the fear of dirt and germs. It's been a hard 18 months for you if that's your fear, right? How many of you are married to somebody who has that? Yeah, you men know better than to raise your hand right now. Acrophobia. That's the fear of heights. I have a recurring dream. I've had it since I was a kid that I jump out of an airplane and my parachute doesn't open. I guess that I guess I have uh, acrophobia. How about this one? This is my number two greatest fear, but it's America's number one greatest fear, according to all the experts on Google. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. I put both my hands up and testify. If you're not afraid of spiders, you need to get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, recommit your life to Jesus. I know people that have pet spiders. I pray for their soul. I just don't. I make my wife kill every spider at her house, and I am not afraid to admit that to y'all. But here is one that did not make the top 10, but this is my number one. You've probably never heard of it in the scientific name, but when I tell you what it means, I hope you will at least sympathize with me. It's called chlorophobia. Chlorophobia is the fear of clowns. Are you not afraid of clowns? You're afraid of clowns? Thank you. You're a woman of God. You're afraid of clowns? There are a few of us that know the facts. Clowns eat people. I'm telling you. I can't prove it, but I think it's true. Now, I I wanted to bring up those fears because we all have fears that are silly, but we also all have very real fear. 
Sometimes we don't talk about them. Some of us are afraid of being alone. Some of us are afraid of losing our job. Some of us are afraid of being poor. Or we're afraid that our spouse might leave us or that our children won't turn out the way we've prayed that they would. Some of us are afraid of, go- of growing old. That's been a fear of mine this week. As a matter of fact, for the first time in my life, I went to the eye doctor because I'm 48. So when y'all see me reading the scripture like this, you'll know I'm too stubborn to get glasses. Some of us are afraid of the unknown. Some of us are afraid of getting cancer. Some of us are afraid that God won't answer our prayers. I want to tell you today that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, you have the ability to fight. You have the ability to fight for Jesus. You have the ability, even when you're afraid, to keep fighting for the Lord. I want to read this to you from uh, Mark. From the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. You can look along with me on the screens or you can follow along in your copy of the scripture. This is a story about a Jewish woman who had an encounter with Jesus. And we can learn a lot from this woman's encounter with the Lord. Jesus had just gone to this village and the crowds met him when he got there. And the crowds are all around Jesus, pressing in. They want Jesus to heal their sick. They want Jesus to perform miracles. And Mark records the story of a nameless woman in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind Jesus in the crowd and touched his clothing. Now, that word clothing, I want to just, if I could, pause for a moment. Our English word is clothing, but that's not the original Greek word. The original Greek, now the New Testament was written in Greek, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And this is actually a word that doesn't mean clothing necessarily. It's more specific to the outer corners of his coat. The word is kanaf, or also zitzit. It's literally the Hebrew word, and it means the four corners of his outer garment. That's important for the sermon today. It says when she heard about Jesus, she wanted to go so that she could touch his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Or who touched the kanaf at the edge of or the corners of my garment? By by the way, Jesus wasn't asking this question because he didn't know the answer. He knew because Jesus knows everything. Jesus asked this question Because he wanted to showcase this woman 
and the faith that she had to fight through the crowd to get to Jesus that day. Keep that in mind. Who, who touched my clothes or the kanaf? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you say, who touched me? Translation, Lord, there are hundreds of people here. There could have been thousands. We don't know. And everybody's touching you and everybody's pushing and everybody's shoving. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus meant something different. It says in verse 32, but he was looking around to see who had done this and the woman with fear and trembling. I want you to see that she was afraid. I want you to see that she had a real fear that caused her body to literally shake. This woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. I want to show you some things from this passage of scripture because this woman is a lot like you and a lot like me. I want to show you some things that you and I can really gain from this story. First of all, she was weak. This woman was weak. How do I know that she was weak? Because she had a blood condition. So Mark is an action gospel. He was the first gospel written synoptically. And Mark uses words like immediately and, and directly and quickly. He wants to show us that Jesus was on a mission. And as Jesus goes into this town, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years comes as a last resort thinking to herself, I've heard that this man is the Messiah, I've heard that he can heal people, and if he can, I want him to heal me. Heal her of what? Well, we don't know exactly what she had. She could have been a hemophiliac. My dad uh, passed away nine years ago, and my dad, because of his health condition, had to take blood thinners. And if you've ever known someone whose blood won't coagulate, you know that the smallest cut can literally be life-threatening for them. A hemophiliac is a free bleeder or someone who can't coagulate their blood. Maybe that was her issue. Maybe she had a bleeding ulcer. Maybe there was a stress or a genetic thing that made her stomach bleed from within. Maybe she had a chronic nosebleed. Maybe this was a female issue that she could not find any cure for. We don't know. We just know that this woman bled for 12 years. Now, I am not a doctor, but I know enough about blood to know. If you bleed for 12 minutes, you feel the effects of it. Imagine bleeding for 12 years. Okay, just do this with me right now. In your mind, can you remember first grade? Can you remember? Some of y'all are like, nope. <laughs> just imagine. Remember when you started elementary school as a first grader. Now, remember graduating from high school. 12 years. She bled for that long. She's weak. Blood carries iron to the body's organs. Blood carries oxygen to the body's cells. 
If you don't get enough iron, you become anemic. If you don't get enough oxygen, you asphyxiate. This woman's body was weak. I just want you to know she had to fight through some weakness to get to Jesus. Now, let me, let me make this personal. At 48 years old, 35 years in ministry, here's what I've learned. I used to want to be strong. I used to tell myself, you're going to be strong in the Lord. And I still want to be strong, but I now find my strength in a different place. What I've learned in my life is the quicker I embrace my weakness, the stronger God will become in me. And the sooner I, as a pastor and as a preacher, tell people about my struggles and my weakness, the quicker that barrier. Because look, if you've never preached up here on a stage, you really don't know what it's like. Trust me, Pastor Bruce will tell you this too. Anytime you stand up on a stage, whether you're in front of two people or 20,000 people, there is an automatic wall between me as the preacher and you as the audience. And, I, and you can tell a joke, you can tell a story, but the quickest way to connect with people that you don't know is to let them see your weakness and let them know you're a human. It's the quickest way to do it. And I want y'all to know I'm weak. I, I'm, I'm really weak. I, I struggle with, with my thoughts. I struggle with being angry sometimes. I get my feelings hurt. I'm insecure. And I used to not share that. But when I started sharing that years and years ago as a preacher, I realized that when I am open with people about my weakness, they understand, wow, if preachers are weak and open about their weakness, then I can be open about my weakness. This week, somebody asked me a question. They said, Clayton, when you pray, like, what's your most common prayer that you pray? And I think they meant like, do you pray the Lord's Prayer? Do you pray like an acrostic? And, and literally, here's what I, I did. I got down on my knees. I said, you want to see my prayer? The most common prayer I pray? Here it is. Help! <laughs> Haven't we all felt that this year? Haven't we all been there? Haven't we all had to come face to face with our weaknesses? I don't know, look, and I'm, I don't get political. I stick with the Bible. I don't, I don't go politics. But let me tell you. A lot of our weaknesses have been exposed over the last 18 months, whether it's been the virus or whether it's been other issues we've had to face as a country. A lot of our weaknesses have been exposed. Don't try to hide your weakness. Bring it to Jesus. Tell him where you're struggling. You struggle with lust? Tell him. Are you addicted to pornography? Tell the Lord. Are you drinking too much? Ask him for help. Are you hiding an addiction to pills, prescription pills? Tell the Lord. Confess it. Do you struggle with insecurity? Are you constantly comparing your normal life on Instagram with everybody else's airbrushed, edited version? Tell the Lord you're struggling with that. Do you struggle with depression, anxiety, fear? Tell the Lord. Bring your weakness to Jesus because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, when I am weak, then he is strong. She was weak. She did not hide her weakness from Jesus. She came with her weakness just like she was. Let me show you something else about this lady. She was poor. And I don't mean that in a figurative sense. I mean she's broke. The Bible says, as Mark records this story, that this woman had spent all that she had on a cure and had given everything she had to doctors, but she's worse than she was when she started. Can anybody relate to that kind of feeling? My son, uh, Jojo, I have two sons. Jacob is 18, and he's preaching. God called him to preach two years ago when he was in Israel. He's been preaching all summer at our Crossroads camps. He's a very anointed young man. My youngest son, Jojo, is six foot three, 15 years old. 
can dunk a basketball and eats the bricks off of our house. And you need to go to my Instagram account and just look at this kid. He's a Goliath. And he tore his uh, meniscus recently and had to have knee surgery. And they showed the growth plate. They did the MRI on his knee and they said, yeah, he could grow another two to five inches. And I'm like, Lord, just let him go to college for free. Play basketball in the NBA. He could be my sugar mama, my sugar daddy, my sugar baby. I don't know. Like, I'm just praying all this stuff, you know. Let him take care of me for a while. He's just a sweet kid. He's really tall. He's so sensitive and tenderhearted and just wonderful. But you know how you get, you, you, like, the medical profession is a hard profession, and, and sometimes you get frustrated when you can't get well. And he went to his therapist uh, Friday, and the physical therapist was like, Jojo, it's going to be another couple of weeks before you can practice football. And Jojo, who's 15, came home, and he's like, Daddy, I don't, you know, the surgeon told me I could be playing football again by the 1st of July. And it's like July the 9th. That's not the 1st of July. That's the middle of July. And the surgeon said I could play. I'm like, yeah, but the therapist said you couldn't. And Joseph goes, Daddy, I just don't want us to go broke paying for all this therapy. I said, well, first of all, son, you need to understand something. There is no us. Us don't pay for anything. You don't have any money. I and your mama have all the money. It was just so funny that he was like, he was trying to do the end around, you know? You can't get what you want with the, with the honey, you try the stinger, right? He comes around and is like, don't want us to go broke and be poor paying for therapy. Nobody wants to be poor. And a lot of times when, if, when we're afraid of losing something that might make us feel poor, we can grab hold to it. This woman had grabbed hold of everything. And nothing worked. She was poor. She came to Jesus with nothing to offer. Literally no money. She had money. It's gone. Why? Because she wanted to get cured. She's tired of being sick all the time. She's tired of being weak all the time. And when she came to Jesus, she came with her poverty. I want to show you one more thing about this lady. She was frustrated. Can you imagine not only bleeding for 12 years and always being tired and always being weak and having no energy and no amount of coffee and no supplement, nothing would give her the energy that she needed. On top of that, now she's broke because she spent all of her money on cures that the doctors could not figure out what happened. As a matter of fact, I did do some research on this, like real research, in the Jewish Talmud which was the writings of the Jewish rabbis based on scripture. There are 11 specific cures mentioned for women who cannot stop bleeding, whether it's a nosebleed or a bleeding ulcer or hemophilia. And these were 11 cures that were okay according to Jewish law. None of those cures worked. So she's broke, she's still sick, she's weak, she's tired. Don't you think she's frustrated? But let me add another layer of the frustration. And y'all, I'm telling you, I've been frustrated the last 18 months. I'm going to be very honest with you. I've been really frustrated. I've been frustrated with our country, our culture, myself. I've been frustrated with politicians. I've been frustrated with preachers, including me. I've been frustrated with everything. I've been frustrated with the fact that like last year, our nonprofit ministry shut down. We lost an entire budget for an entire year. I'm talking like we, we went to zero. 
and we couldn't do ministry. I've been frustrated. And I want you to know I've called out to God and asked God for help. Do you think she did that? Do you think she prayed to God? She's a Jewish woman. I did the math just on my phone. I pulled up the calculator and I thought to myself, if she's been sick and bleeding for 12 years and she prayed one time a day for 12 years for God to heal her, that means she would have prayed 4,380 times. God, heal me. Let's just assume that she's a devout Jewish woman. And let's just assume for the sake of assumption she prayed five times a day. Not one, not two, not three, not even four. Five times a day because she's desperate and she wants to get well. If she prayed five times a day for 12 years, she prayed 21,900 times. Have you ever prayed for anything 21,900 times? I don't know that I have. I don't know that I've ever prayed for anything 2,000 times. This woman would not quit even though she's frustrated. This woman would not give up even though it seemed like God wasn't listening to her. Can we just drag the thing out into the light and say what needs to be said? A lot of us get frustrated with each other, and some of us even get frustrated with God, and we blame God for not answering a prayer that we quit praying when we got tired. And somebody needs to hear that today. It's been the case for me in my life. What if she had stopped at 11 years? What if when Jesus comes to her town, she's like, I've heard the rumors about this guy. He might be a healer. He might be the Messiah, but he's probably not. Probably just a waste of my time. I don't need to get out of the house and go through the, the shame of walking out publicly where people move when I come close. No, no, I don't need that. It's just a waste of my time. I'm just going to be more frustrated if I go and ask this man to pray for me and I don't get healed. You know what she did? She fought through the frustration. I just want to speak a word to you. Is there is there something you're frustrated with right now and it's caused you to want to give up and quit? Don't quit. Press on. Even if it's just for one more time. And you might be saying, well, there's nobody to encourage me to keep going. There's nobody in my family. There's nobody around me that tells me I can keep going. Okay, I'm telling you, don't quit. I'm telling you, don't give up. I'm telling you, God is there for you. I'm telling you, it's a mystery when God doesn't answer according to our time frame. But if this woman had stopped at year 11, she would have never met Jesus and never been healed. She kept fighting forward. Somebody might need to say amen right now because I'm really preaching to somebody in this house. I hope I'm striking a nerve. I'm trying to pour my heart into this and show you this woman is you and this woman is me. And I know what it's like to be frustrated, even with God. And one of the things I love about God, he's a big boy. He doesn't get his feelings hurt. He doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. You can tell God when you're frustrated. You can tell God when you're mad. You can ask God, what in the world are you up to? And he can handle your questions. There's no guarantee he'll give you the answer you want. There's no guarantee he'll do it in the time frame that you ask. But in every good relationship, whether it's friends, spouse, or children, 
Every good relationship is built on trust and intimacy where we are able to say what we feel to the person that we love and we know they're not going to leave us. And I want to tell you right now, Biltmore, some of you need to get real honest with God about your frustrations. And maybe even today, go somewhere and get by yourself. Go into your bedroom, go into the bathroom, lock the door, go outside, go out in the woods, get in your car, get on your bike, take a spin, do whatever you got to do. Go and walk on the golf course, go to the gym, and just tell God, this is how I feel, this is what I'm thinking. That might be the barrier that stands between you and intimacy with God, between you and joy, between you and happiness. This woman was so frustrated, but her frustration fueled her faith. I want to be like her. I really do. One more thing I want to point out about the woman, the last thing. Um, this woman was isolated. All alone. How do we know? Because she'd been bleeding for 12 years. And you can go to the Old Testament and you can read in Leviticus. There are some rules in Leviticus 15 about women who can't stop bleeding. They were considered unclean. So this woman was not allowed to go to the temple to worship God. She was not allowed to take sacrifice. She couldn't go to the synagogue and sing and, and hear the Psalms and the scroll from Isaiah read out loud. As a matter of fact, because she was bleeding, she was unclean, so people avoided her. We don't know if she'd ever been married, probably not, because if she did have hemophilia or some kind of ailment that made her unclean, it would have been unlikely that a man would want to marry her, which could also potentially mean she never had any kids. And that's okay. You can still have a wonderful life, even if you're never married and never have kids, as long as you have friends and community. She had no friends and no community. Why? Because she was unclean. People didn't want to touch her. She lived an isolated life. And here's what I love about Jesus. Let me say this very clearly. She couldn't get to the temple, so Jesus brought the temple to her. That's what Jesus does for us. When we feel like we can't get to him, he says, that's okay, I already came to you. God, I feel like I can't approach you. That's okay. I approached you when I became a man. I feel like, God, that I'm just so distant from you. That's okay, my daughter. I came close and died on the cross to save you from your sin. Even in her isolation, this woman found Jesus because Jesus was there for her. What, so what's the point behind all of this for you? How does this apply to us? Here is it in a nutshell. Faith replaces fear, but not without a fight. That's the story of the woman from Mark 5. Faith replaces fear, but not without a fight. Think about your life. The best things in your life probably weren't handed to you. You probably had to fight for them. You had to work for them. You had to really scrape ahead for that degree. You had to stay up late and get up early. Think about your marriage and your relationship. Your marriage is great, not because you had a wonderful honeymoon. Your marriage is solid because you fought through some hard times together. Because you wanted to kill each other, figuratively speaking. You got mad at each other. You said hurtful words. And you're still together. Why? Because by the grace of God, you chose to make it work. That's where the good stuff is in a marriage. 
Think about your career, the job you have. Maybe it's the same career you've been in for 30 years and you've had to fight through economic recessions and the ups and the downs of the market. Maybe you're in a new career because the other career didn't work out and you went bust or you went bankrupt and now you keep fighting and you're in a good place. Why? Because you didn't give up, you didn't quit. You kept fighting forward. Faith replaces fear, but not without a fight. This woman fought to get to Jesus and it paid off. And I want to encourage you. I'm glad you're at church today. I'm glad you're watching online today. That tells me that you haven't given up. That tells me that you are still fighting for Jesus. That tells me that you are still in the game. Praise God for you. One of the things I tell the guys that I disciple in ministry, don't yell at the people who come to your church on a Sunday because you're mad at all the people that aren't there on Sunday. Like, don't yell at the people who show up on time because you're mad at the people that show up late. I want to encourage you. Praise God you're here. You're still following Jesus. And if you keep following Jesus, eventually, you'll find something like this woman found. She was healed. But I want to show you, Jesus calls her daughter. At the end of the passage I just read, Jesus calls her daughter. That's the only name she's given in this story. Can you imagine how tender that felt to her when Jesus dignified her by calling her daughter? But Jesus tells her that something saved her. What does Jesus say to her in verse 35? Your faith has saved you. She had faith. She reached out in faith. If you'll give me two minutes, I want to explain to you exactly what's going on here. Remember earlier I told you, remember the clothing, remember the word kanaf, remember the four corners. If you look, you don't have to do it now. You can if you want. But if you look in Numbers chapter 15, Numbers 15 talks about the four tassels that hang off of the four corners of a priestly robe. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus was wearing that outer garment, a tunic that day. And from the four corners of his tunic hung four tassels, kanaf. She had read Numbers 15. She knew that those tassels that hung from the corners were symbolic of God's covenant love for Israel. She had also read this verse that's going to be up on the screens right now from Malachi 4.2. This is where her faith really steps in. Malachi 4.2 says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Leave that up there for a moment. She needed healing. Jesus is the son of righteousness. And where will the healing be found? In his wings. But wait a minute. He's not a bird. He's a human. The word there is not our word for wings like wings of a bird. It is literally the Hebrew word kanaf. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in the corners of his robe. So when she crawled her way, pushed her way, shoved her way, fought her way to Jesus that day, the only thing she wanted was to reach up and grab one of those four corners because she just thought, maybe, just maybe, this is my last chance and maybe Malachi 4.2 is true and if I can grab the corner of his garment, one of those tassels, I'll be healed because the Bible says so. Kid you not, I'm sitting on my couch the first time I learned this. 
with a Bible and a commentary. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm reading about the color of the tassels. They were blue or purple. And I've got my arm up on a pillow. And I'm reading my Bible and I've got my notes. And I look down and under my arm on the corner of the pillow, four corners of that pillow, were these tassels. I want you to see that. I didn't plan it. I just looked down and I realized, wow, this is exactly like what hung on the four corners of Jesus' robe. And so I didn't tell my wife. And I grabbed this tassel. And I popped it off the corner. And I stuck it in my pocket before she caught me. And I said, I'm going to work that into a sermon. I keep this tassel on my desk in my house. She's since replaced the pillows. And I remind myself, that woman had faith enough to keep fighting. All she wanted to do was find Jesus and grab one of these. Because she had read in the Bible that there was healing in these tassels. That's why when she grabbed it, Jesus said, who touched my garment? Because he wanted to dignify a woman who was weak and who was poor and who was isolated and who was frustrated. Jesus wanted to show everybody there, the woman that you've all been avoiding because you think she's unclean, she is a daughter of the king and I want to honor her faith. Jesus is the hero of that story, but she's the main character. Why? Because she reached up and grabbed She had the faith to just reach up and say, I believe. And I'm wondering if that's what you need today. Because here's my final idea, my final point, my final reflection. Everybody was touching Jesus that day. She was the only one that touched him in faith. Y'all, everybody's around Jesus. They're all there to see this miracle-working magician but she was the one that touched him with faith. Everybody is around Jesus, but she was laser focused. I got to get to him. I got to fight to get close if I can just grab the corner. And when she did, she was healed. And we're talking about her 2,000 years later. We can learn a lot from this woman. I want to encourage you today, Biltmore Church. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep fighting for faith. Grab hold and don't let go because you'll only find healing in Jesus. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and open your hearts with me at every location, every campus, and online. And with your eyes closed and your hearts open, I want to ask you, what part of your life needs healing right now? What fear do you need to confess to Jesus? What frustration do you need to bring to him? And what step of faith do you need to take so that you can grab hold of Jesus and his promise? Whatever it is, he's big enough and he's strong enough to meet your need. The simple question I'd like to ask right now with our eyes closed and our hearts open. Some of you need to give your life to Jesus right now. You need to be saved right now. Your biggest problem is that your sins have never been forgiven and only Jesus can do that. And the promise of the scripture is that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us 
and cleanse us and make us new. That's 1 John 1, 9. And the promise from Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Anyone. Business owners, brain surgeons, football coaches, school teachers, meth addicts, gay people, straight people, single people, black people, white people, Latinos, Asians, young, old, rich, poor, frustrated, broken. If you call on the name of the Lord, you can be saved right here, right now. So with your eyes closed and your hearts open, that's my invitation to you. Pray this right now if you'd like to be saved. You don't have to pray it out loud, just pray it in your heart. Pray this to Jesus right now. If you are ready to reach up and grab by faith what he has promised to you. Pray this to him. He's listening. Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. So I repent of my sin. I trust you to save me. I believe in you, Jesus. I give you everything. Thank you for loving me. And now I'm yours. Help me follow you, Jesus. I love you. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm not going to bring people to the front. I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to point you out. But if you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, I want you to do one thing. And I want you to do it quickly, but I want you to do it with boldness. Nobody's looking but me. And I'm not going to point you out, but I want to know if you just prayed to receive Christ by faith, would you do one simple thing? Raise your hand up above your head right now. Come on, just raise it up. And I want you to keep it up just for a minute, just until I finish counting. I want you to keep your hand up. I just want to count the number of people in this room that just gave their lives fully to Jesus Christ. Keep it up, please. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Praise the Lord. Put your hands down. I want everybody to look at me at every campus. Open your eyes at every campus. Just in this room today, just at this campus, 17 people just took hold of Jesus by faith. There were 32 in the first service, so just at this campus, we've seen almost 50 people give their lives to Jesus today, and that's not including all of our campuses, online. Wow, what a day at Biltmore Church. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy. Here's what I want to ask everybody at every campus that just prayed to receive Christ. I want you to do this. Can everybody go ahead and take out your phones? You don't all have to do something. I just want you to take out your phone so it's not awkward or weird for the people that just gave their life to Jesus. Take out your phone. I know you're dying to look at TikTok anyway. Some of y'all are like, what's TikTok? Ask a teenager. All right. Take out your phone, and if you just prayed to receive Christ, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to send a text message to a phone number. And that way we can help you take your next step as a Christian. Text the word follow to this number, 28282. Just open up your phone, send the word follow to 28282. That'll help us connect with you. 
That'll help us get you plugged in where you can grow and where God can begin to change you now that you're saved. Do that right now.